guys. Welcome. This is Square Zeros. I'm John. And I'm Derek. And today we are sitting here with Marta DeLeon uh, of The Meaning of Life. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself for us, Marta? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I am the bass player and the vocalist of The Meaning of Life. We are playing in Brooklyn, and that's how I met uh, John and Derek. And uh, what kind of stuff does Meaning of Life play? Um, well, you know, like all bands, it's hard to describe. I guess we're three-piece, so um, mostly it's me singing. I'm a female, obviously. So it's like <laughs> uh, we've described it as like dream pop, kind of ambient. Um, we like to describe ourselves as like Jesus Mary Chain meets like Blondie meets like maybe Sade. <laughs> yeah. I had quit uh, my old band, Coyote Eyes, and um, that was in Brooklyn, too. And so I answered a Craigslist ad as dirty as that sounds. And it was actually a person that was really cool because Craigslist is kind of like what it not used to be, you know, but it was kind of just looking and looking and looking. Um, so long story short, my guitarist and sing, singer, songwriter, whatever, sound, song collaborator person, he was uh, put up an ad, so then we met. And he lived really close to me too, so that was kind of like sweet in the deal. It's like, you know, lazy, didn't want to take like a long train ride, end up somewhere by myself, you know, creepy you know, person <laughs> I'd never met. So he was really nice and we wrote, for about six months, and then we added a drummer, which is our first drummer, and then like about a year passed, and we recorded um, 2012. So since then, we've been through a couple of drummers. So we have one um, who's our permanent current player, and he's actually um, originally from uh, Kalmyk, so he's Mongolian. So he moved here about, I don't know, 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. And then Chris is actually from Chile, too. So they're both immigrants to New York, and I'm the only one that's Very American-born. American yep. There you mm -hmm. go. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little bit about your earliest project. So you have oh, something yeah. for us to listen to here today. Uh, what, what do you, you can, maybe you can uh, introduce us to that too. No, that's cool. I mean, you asked me, you know, like high school bands. I didn't play in high school bands because I was playing like in orchestras and cello and stuff. And um, I was listening to like rock and roll then, but like I didn't know like, you know, about playing in bands until like I had moved to Seattle um, when I left Arizona when I was like about 21, 22. And um got into indie rock, kind of lived with some guys who worked in a record store and they introduced me to like Yellow Tango and Pavement and like Chicago bands like Tortoise and like Seeing Cake. So I just kind of went for it. And um, the band The Getter Flash was some friends of mine and I played cello and I played cello electric when we played live and then also bass too. And that's when I started playing bass. So introduce this first track <laughs> for us or give us, oh, um, yeah. give us an idea of what this track's like and then we'll give it a listen. Okay. Yeah. It's Dream Pop. Um, it's actually not me singing. It's my friend Lisa and she... Is living in Portland now, like everybody else. And then my friend Steve, who plays guitar, he lives in Nashville, and he's a music writer. And then um, I think Jason and Joel are the other members. They're, they still live in Seattle. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like a dream pop, sort of like Ida kind of sounding, I guess, um, type of track. And I'm playing cello on this one. Cool. Let's called Valschmitz. Valschmitz. <laughs>
Velschmerz. Velschmerz. That was pretty. That was like, yeah. that was cool. That was something that I could have easily found a place on uh, maybe Saddle Creek in the early 2000s. That's kind of the feeling I get. Yeah, it's true. We would have loved that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, during that time there was like, you know, sort of that Seattle sound. I mean, Death God for Cutie was like kind of like the big act, I guess, that came out of there. Um, and then like Belt to Spell and those bands were kind of going through there in the shins. So. We were doing our thing. Unfortunately, we broke up after we recorded that, so that's a pretty typical well, band story. I know, I know, yeah, but you know, it happens. So. Yeah. Um, now, what was the what was the sort of? I mean, you sort of mentioned the personnel. What what was the mm -hmm. instrumentation on the track? Yeah, I was playing cello, and then Lisa was singing, and then I don't know who's playing keyboards. Probably somebody in the band. <laughs> There's one, two, three, four, five of us, and then yeah, drums and, and guitar, and Steve was singing some backups and stuff. Now, did you start out? As a cello player? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah, was I your first it instrument? Mm -hmm, when I was a little kid. And my sister was a violin player also, so we kind of like had that classical background. And I played in orchestras in high school and started to like plug it in when I was like wanting to be in bands. And it's hard to because you're, you know, you're going into like a kind of like a weird space when you're trying to play out live and like dealing with like a PA system. And like a cello has like kind of like a natural sort of like low tone. So sometimes that would be hard to like just hear when you're playing live. So I kind of, more went towards the bass, and I kind of like the bass a little bit more, so it's kind of like the progression. Okay. Mm -hmm. And one thing I notice about uh, classically trained musicians sometimes, and I have friends that we, we all have friends who are classically <laughs> trained musicians. <laughs> this is not a knock on them. No, it's okay. But they often have a hard time um, writing for rock and roll. They're so used to structure that they, the, it's, it's difficult for them to wrap their minds around uh, improvisation right off the bat, and the kind of disorder and chaos that you need to have in you for rock and roll. But it seems like you were able to do that pretty easily. Was there anything in particular that you did or or was it some sort of combination of influences and your training? I don't know. It's like, that's a good question. I think like when I was growing up, I studied the Suzuki method. That's like a classical method. And you have to like also read music, but you also have to like hear a song a bunch of times and then play it back by ear. So that's what I kind of leaned on when I went like playing rock and roll and I was playing bass. Like I remember like playing with this band and like nobody knew how to like even say chords or read music. So I had to just kind of like hear what they were playing and being like, okay, I think this is where the bass line should go. <laughs> that was kind of like the crash course. And I like it though. I mean, I feel like my mind like creatively also works more that way. I'm less like a musical theory person and that's why I didn't go to music school. So like initially like in college. So. 
<laughs> sure, sure. And I mean, it sounds like you also have had maybe sort of a trajectory of bands over time. So yeah. maybe it's something that just a little bit more and more you've been able to sort of slip into. Totally, totally. A new style of music. Right, right. I mean, I, I've played in a band for a while where like there was like guitar players who had like three different guitars and different tunings. So it's like they didn't even know what chords they were playing. So, right. But that was kind of orchestral too in its own way because it's a little more like kind of like Mogwai sort of like that sort of feeling where there's lots of layers like an orchestra. Nice. Well, do you want to introduce us to the next song? We have another song here for you to listen to. Okay. Um, so this is the other Getter Flash song. That's my old band. Um, it's called The Days of Living Velvet, which was originally Woody Allen Banks' daughter. It's a very <laughs> <laughs> it's a very precious song. It's very long. So, yeah. I Dare I ask what it's about? I know. Well, see, The Days of Living Velvet actually is a book. It's a novel. So our singer at the time, Lisa, she was reading that book, and so that she picked that name. Um, I think for her, like, the lyrics, if you kind of just listen to the song, it's kind of like about a relationship and maybe somebody who was like going out with somebody and not anymore but still hanging out with them or something um but yeah it was kind of written like in a jam I think there was like a loop pedal that my guitar player had just gotten the Akai head rush and he kind of had this kind of chimey sort of like um I don't know like music box kind of effect or whatever and we all kind of built stuff around there so another collaborative song <laughs>
So uh, that again was uh, Woody Allen Bangs' daughter. Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the illustrious category of songs about incest with sister by yeah. Prince. And... We were ahead of our time, obviously. <laughs> Some other ones. So that was an eight-minute track. You know, ten, 10 years ago, and you said that was 2001, 2002-ish. Yeah. You never would have been able to get me to write an eight-minute track. Like, <laughs> 2.30 was, like, really pushing it. Really? So, yeah, okay. I'm impressed. Thanks. I know. I that know. was cool. I know. It's hard. Like, I don't know why songs are sometimes so long. We have, like, a mini live song that we just recorded, the one that we remixed twice, and it's, like, over six minutes. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, are people going to, like, make it past, like, three minutes? Mm -hmm. But it's also repetitive. So I guess if you hear three minutes, it's almost like you heard the whole song. And that one also that one also had a really nice payoff at the end, though. You know, I mean, it's that true. one it's also, you know, you get, a, you get about six months. Yeah. Six months. <laughs> six months is so long, you guys. Uh, six minutes in, and then it really opened up. You know, there was that big, nice build. Um, and then coming back to the sort of chiming harmonic part at the end, that looping part was really yeah. refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> I know. And your cello is, plays a more pro prominent role in that song than it does in the other one. Uh, how did you come up with that line? That was just um, also like improvising too. So like, um, I guess maybe I was like playing off like what the guitar playing was doing and we didn't have a bass player for a while. So I would like switch off and play bass for one song and then play cello. So I think like I came up with kind of like something that was a little more rhythmic, like the bass before bass, you know, was added to that song. So, I mean, it was just easier for me. Like I said, like I'm more kind of like a student of cast when I play and the way I think about music than being somebody who's like, all right, that's like an A chord. And this is like, you know, arpeggio and this is like you know mezzo forte like i don't think in those terms either so mm -hmm. and let's keep geeking out just for a second um, i'm just curious about how you recorded the cello do you remember um i think pretty much it's a little tricky too to record like cello especially like engineers who just do like rock bands i think we put um like the mic right by like the f hole which the f holes are like the holes in the cello that you see like at the bottom um, and then you just kind of go from there. So it doesn't have to be recorded with the band. I think it was done like in a separate room. So not quite overdubs, but yeah, I think I was sitting in the engineer's room at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and talk about the recording process overall for that. It yeah, seems there's okay. a lot of layers in that song. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we didn't do too many overdubs. Like I don't think Lisa did any like backup vocals or like double vocals, but it was analog. So we pretty much were just doing the best takes. So with analog, you just got to knock it out like, you know, musicians you know in the past were like they're very well rehearsed and that's nerve-wracking but it's it's a cool sound like you were saying analogs like the best sound <laughs> I don't think I could do it personally because I'm really like neurotic about my vocals now that I, I'm you know the lead singer and everything so I have to really just do a lot of takes and then cut them up in pro tools which is gross but you know <laughs> helps me sleep better at night and I don't have to be you know driving everybody crazy so when you're playing okay. melodica you don't have that sort of diva mentality where <laughs> everything right, has to be right. perfect the melodica yeah it's true I lost my humbleness when I put down the cello no <laughs> nice yeah I mean you know I, I wasn't like a big melodica player either but I kind of was like you know always kind of going through these little phases where I was like trying to find different instruments and like Seattle there's like a lot of old dusty music stores you can go places and just buy something for like a dollar and I think that's where I got that bass melodica and then like I was even thinking of like maybe going into like something where like you could play it live and it could be like a reggae thing where you're like putting the mic you know with the reverb because I like the way that sounds too and as somebody who was like starting to play bass I was like listening to reggae too at that time Mm. unapologetically you can never <laughs> apologize for reggae man <laughs> you know what's interesting too is like bringing up the melodica yeah. and talking about how like the cello is incorporated here and you're uh, you use a, an interesting like loop pedal um 
one thing that I always think about uh, is that in rock and roll, right, like we're in this era where so much has been done and we're like people our age are going back and listening to some of the earlier stuff and reinterpreting it in these weird ways. And um, structurally and, and in terms of like songcraft, like there are these forms that we tend to follow and I see people reaching for like tones, like people are becoming more tone obsessed and yeah. I think that's part of the reason my bullshit theory <laughs> is okay. like we've like you, you know can, we pick up instruments yeah. like the melodica for right, example right. and other found sounds and that sort of thing because we want it to sound unique I think people maybe subconsciously are acknowledging like okay like we're not going to break a ton of new ground structurally or it's very hard to do that so let's make it sound more interesting let's make it sound yeah. different than the other stuff that we've heard before yeah I mean you know I was kind of like in a Calexico phase too at that time and I had seen them so much in Seattle and I was just kind of like you know a little obsessed with that band I mean I, I still feel like sometimes I don't listen as much as I used to like we all go through phases but like um, I think the guy who started the band he was a bass player too and like him and like his partner who writes with them is a drummer so they're kind of like a rhythm section that started the band anyway long story short they would always like go and try to find like different kind of instrumentation and like you know, just different influences. So I thought that was, that was cool. It's interesting. I don't know if I was doing it as deftly as they were, but you know, it was an inspiration at the time. No, I think, I, I think to elaborate a little bit on, on your bullshit theory, as you, as, <laughs> as you, as you put it. Um, no, I, think I know there, what you mean though. I, I, say, I think yeah. there's something to that where it's sort of, yeah. you know, there's this idea that, um, like I have some friends who recently sort of reinvented their band. You know, they sort of, they've been doing something for years and years and they decided they sort of felt like this need to completely reinvent things. And one of the big comments they had was they were, they, they said, everybody who comes out to our shows tells us we're a really interesting band. Huh. And they were like, and that's for a while we thought that's really great. Like you yeah. want to be interesting. You want to be different. But then they realized that like, if you're interesting, if you're different and really good, yeah. people tell you you're really good. They don't go for instrument, you know, they, they don't they don't aim at interesting Aww. first. And it was this sort of realization they had where they were like, I mean, obviously, like, we're technically proficient. <laughs> obviously, we're doing some things that, like, people find very interesting and very, and, and some people do think are good. But they were like, you don't just want to be interesting. You want it to sound good. Like, at the end of the day, yeah. you want it to sound pleasant. And, I mean, if, if breaking down the forms of rock and roll into something new gets you sergeant peppers then maybe that's something to work with but if it gets you like rush there are going to be people who are going to have more problems with these sort of time signature <laughs> changes for the sake of doing it or tempo changes for the sake of doing it um and i think tone yeah it does come in as that sort of thing where if the ramones can take 50s and make it into something completely new even though it's still just 50s structure that we want to listen to it's true yeah it's tone hard. matters you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is uh, what is Meaning of Life sort of have on the docket right now? What are you guys no, working okay. on right now? Well, yeah, we're in the studio, so we're being nerdy. So we're trying to knock out an album. We've like got almost half of the songs done. It's going to be like probably 10 songs, and then we want to start sending it to labels. So we'd like to have it done by March, but if it's not picked up by labels or whatever's going on, I think we're just going to release it ourselves, hopefully this summer. Hopefully. Are you going to do wax? I don't know. I know everybody's like asking us, especially with our last thing too. I mean, I'm always like really pragmatic. So, I mean, not that I don't like vinyl, but I'm always like, oh, it's another thing to kind of worry about when you're recording and trying to get things done and pay for and, you know, all that stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. More people are doing wax and vinyl's beautiful. Just like analog it has like the best sound. So what kind of shows do you guys have coming up? Um, we have one coming up in February 19th at Matchless. It's um, put on by this website blog, I guess, called bestnewbands.com. So I don't know who else is on the bill yet, but it's a little out there, but that's the next one. Killer.
Thanks. Well, Marta, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Really glad to have you on the show. Uh, Marta DeLeon, everybody, vocalist, bassist for The Meaning of Life. Check him out in February at Matchless. Cellist, melodica player <laughs> for... Uh, <laughs> Woody Allen. Uh... <laughs> for the Getter Flash. Um, thanks so much, guys. Take care. <laughs>